Unfortunately, this week I have to begin by announcing that I feel like I have utterly failed this week in my preparation for this particular portion of our study. For the title of my message this morning is, For God is Love. And as we continue moving on through the series that we've entitled, For the Love of God, Looking at the Love of God Together, I have to confess to each and every one of you that I feel that I have failed. For I began this week exploring the depth, breadth, and width of the nature of God. And I wanted to be able to come to you this morning and to articulate His nature so eloquently and so perfectly that you would be awestruck, not by me, but by His personal nature. And I discovered that my limitations would not allow me to truly understand and comprehend the nature of God. I realized that I was uh, a finite person looking into the depths of an infinite God, and I could not articulate it any better than those who wrote the scriptures themselves by the inspiration of the Spirit. Though I did not try or think for a moment that I could do anything better than those who inspired Uh, who are inspired to write the Word of God. I wanted to explore the depths of the nature of God with you this morning to a place where we would all be in such awe of His love for us that we would be changed forever. And I couldn't do it. I could not come up with a better statement than John did, simply stating that God is love. And he said that in his personal understanding of the nature and the essence of God. That God is more than just simply a loving God. He's much more than a lovable God. He is the God of love. God is love. And this isn't a mere definition of who God is because I cannot reverse it and say love is God. That would make him some pantheistic idea or creation of God that is, uh, it is uh, outside the realm of orthodox doctrine concerning his identity. But John, in his first epistle, desiring to explain the gospel of John more thoroughly to his readers, said very eloquently that God is love. And as we continue this morning and we begin to try to understand the love of God for us, let us remember that this is just not an academic pursuit or a theological pursuit. It isn't something that we just approach theoretically or through philosophy or ideology. It is something that we must understand and experience for ourselves to fully appreciate and to truly comprehend the love of God for us. Woven within this study is my story as I believe it was the love of God that radically changed my life and allowed me to become the man that I am today. Though I am still certainly a work in progress, I've made a lot of uh, headway over the last 30 years, but God's got a long way to take me. And I realized very early on in my Christianity that my love for God that allows me to look and interact within this world in such a way 
that the temptations and the allure of the world pale in comparison to the love that God has for me and the love that I have for him. Now, it's no big deal that I love God, but it's a huge deal that God first loved us. And out of that love for us, we then in return love him. It is that that we come to this morning as we now venture into 1 John together, as John, undoubtedly one of the apostles who truly understood the value of the love of God, the way he articulates it, not only in the gospel in which he wrote, which of course deals with the deity of Jesus Christ, but how can you deal with his deity if you don't also include the love in which he has for us as, as his creation? But many of the things that John wrote were complex, and they were different to the thinking of the Jewish mind at that time. And so 1 John was written to help individuals like ourselves understand more thoroughly what he wrote initially in his gospel. And of course, in John 3.16, we're given the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But John felt that knowing that God loves us wasn't sufficient in and of itself. It was more important, apparently, to John that, he, that we not only knew that God loved us, but that we knew how God showed his love towards us and why he loved us in such a way. He loved us in such a way and demonstrated that love by giving his only begotten son that we begin here this morning with the idea that God is love. It is not merely a single attribute of his character. It isn't a component of God. It is God. Love originated with God, and I will go as far as to say that our world would not even understand, know, or comprehend love if it wasn't for God in the first place. Today, we use the word love very loosely. We have assigned to it a definition that puts self at the center or, uh, or the recipient of love. When we talk about love today, we're often talking about it in the sense or in the manner in which it benefits me as an individual, my love towards another, how can I benefit from the love in which I am extending to another? But God said that I love you and I'm extending my love to you to benefit you. It was a giving love. It was a sacrificial love. It was a love unlike that that is found in the world. And John wants us to know that this all originated from the very beginning in the person of God. Today, when individuals try to understand love, they often look at it in a very natural way. They look at it as a mere emotions stirred by certain chemical reactions within the brain. And this brings us to the identity or the understanding of love. But what they don't go on to say is that that type of love is often equated with the same emotions, 
same reaction, same desire as those of an individual looking for sexual intimacy. And so when these things are triggered, we have integrated love and lust so closely together that sometimes we don't know where the two separate. And it's often self-serving in its understanding. But God says that I served you by the love in which I demonstrated to you by sending my only son to meet the need, the greatest need that each and every one of you had within your life. That is immense to me. It's incredible to me. So let us begin in 1 John together. As we begin here in chapter 4, John now is trying to help his readers understand the necessity of love towards one another. And he articulates and begins to write in verse 7 of chapter 4, and he says, Beloved, writing to believers, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He wants to once again remind us that Jesus said in his new commandment, one of the passages that we looked at together in John 13, Jesus said that I desire you to love one another as I have loved you so that all the world may know that you are of me. He was setting the bar higher than the original understanding of loving one another that is found in the book of Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus removes the standard of yourself and takes us to a higher place, and that is the love in which he showed us, now you show to one another. And John now is following up on that. He's expounding upon that idea here in our text this morning. And he says, beloved, let us love one another. And by doing so, he is considering the fact that when the world looks upon us and they see the love that we have for one another, that they will see that supernaturally something's happening in our midst Because the love that God has loved us with is beyond our natural capabilities. It is a work of the Holy Spirit amongst us and through us and within us. And therefore, when the world sees us loving one another in this unconditional, giving, sacrificial, selfless way, they then look and say, God is truly amongst them, the one true God. But if the world looks at us and sees backbiting, bitterness, fighting, arguing, gossiping, jealousy, coveting, lying, the world is going to write us off and rightfully so because that does not properly represent God. And so Jesus said... Love one another as I have loved you so that all the world may know that you are of me. And he says here in our verse 7 that this love is from God. It's not that just simply God loved us 
and this love originated someplace else and he just capitalized upon it. It is actually from him. It is an intricate part of his nature. And therefore, all that God does is out of love towards us. Now, that's sometimes hard to understand until you put it in the context of a parent. There were often times that I knew that my parents loved me by the manner in which they blessed me with some kind of gift, uh, emoji floaty, uh, whatever it may be. And I knew that, oh, my parents loved me, they, they provided for me, they, they put a roof over my head, they loved me, and so forth. But there are other times that I certainly questioned that love when it came with the rod of correction. I didn't understand why I was being grounded. Everybody throws eggs at houses. Why am I so different that I am now being grounded for it? But I think the, to- the toilet paper in the trees ups the value of the property, Dad. You're grounded. But why? I'll never forget one of the punishments that I had that I had saved for almost a year to buy the BMX bike that I've always wanted. And I finally was able to go to the store after ordering it, pick it up and pay for it. And just, of course, within one day, I did something ridiculously stupid. And I got grounded. And my punishment was taking my BMX bike into my room, turning it upside down and putting a lock on its wheel and giving the key to my dad. And every single day, I had a look at that BMX bike in my room and me unable to use it. I think it has still psychologically damaged me till this time. I can't lock up my bike without starting to tremble. No. But I didn't understand that my parents' love for me was even more greatly demonstrated in the manner in which they corrected me. They loved me enough to discipline me and to show me right from wrong, to help me become the man that I needed to become. And so often God does the same in our lives. There are times where we are convinced of his love, and there are other times that we are doubting of his love due to the circumstances in which we are experiencing. But one of the things we read in the New Testament is that the writers began to become... uh, acutely aware of the fact that all that God did in their life was out of love. And Paul, therefore, was then confident to write that, you know, that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God was working in every circumstance in my life for my betterment, for my conformity into the image of Jesus Christ. And John said that this love is from God, that we show one another, and whoever loves can, be, can know two things. Number one, that you have been born of God, and number two, that you know God. It is not possible to say that you have been born again and have not love for your brother or sister in Christ. It is not possible to say that you know who God is without being changed by the immensity and the incredible nature of his love towards you. John made it clear here that this love that is understood by the individual and experienced by the individual will give you the confidence to know that you are truly born of him and number two, that you know who God is. 
And that's the reality. That's the point in which we touch and understand this love towards us that God is. It's by knowing Him. And we know Him by reading His Word. We would not know the specificities of God unless we were revealed those things by Him to us. The Bible says that we can look into creation and know that God exists. That's one step of the equation. That I can look at the creation around me and see that God exists. However, though, it doesn't tell me the specific characters of God. That has to be given through divine special revelation, which He gives to us in His Word. So to know God, I must begin with Genesis and end with Revelation to truly understand the heart of God. But even if I read that passage without being born again, I still wouldn't be able to touch and to fully know and to understand God because the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. So once I am born again in Christ and I have experienced that love for myself that was demonstrated there in the cross, then I can begin to know God as I read His Word with the Spirit of God in my heart, the author of the Word itself, speaking to me through the written text, allowing me to see past the veil and into the heart of God Himself. That's what the Word does for us. That's why I cannot stress enough to all of you to state this, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, our reading of the Word every single day in a personal devotional life is so important. It is not optional. It is a necessity. Spending time with God one-on-one every single day is important for the believer in Jesus Christ. We feed ourselves every single day physical food three, four, five times a day, And yet somehow we believe that our spirit can grow and thrive by simply feeding it once a week as we attend church. No, the spirit needs to be fed just like the spiritual body needs to be fed. How do we feed the spirit? By reading the word of God and growing within our knowledge of God, allowing the spirit to grow within us. Before becoming a Christian, The Bible says that we were spiritually dead before God. That spirit has been resurrected in a process called regeneration, allowing us to interact with God through Christ and also to allow the spirit of God to reside within us that we may know the intricacies of God. Who can know God but by his spirit, the word says. If you're struggling in your Christian life, if you're struggling with love, may I ask you to consider, are you spending time with God each and every day? Praying and then opening His Word and then praying again at the end or the conclusion of your reading of a portion of Scripture to allow God to meet you there within it and allowing the Spirit to grow. And from the Spirit's growth will come the fruit of the Spirit, which is love itself. John knew that anyone who is truly born again is going to manifest the attributes of God in and through their lives. In John 3, 9 through 10, look at there with me if you will. He says this, 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's impossible for us to continue in our old nature for a long period of time or consistently if we've truly been born again. And as we've been born again, the work of God begins within us and changing us from the inside out, causing that new creation that has been promised through Christ's reconciliation of us back to the Father. And one of those attributes is the love that we have for one another. If you move back with me to chapter 4, verse 8, listen what he says here. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There is that statement that we are confronted with. Throughout the Bible, there are these statements that I call God is statements, and that's exactly what they are. In John, 1 John specifically, we find several. For God is love is one of them. But he also goes on to say that God is light, that he is originator of light itself, one of the vast mysteries of physical science, the origin of light. When God said, let there be light, he simply revealed himself before the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars in the book of Genesis. As a result, light was then known by you and I and then was contrasted by darkness. But God is light himself, and therefore, you can be confident that light is of God. In the spiritual sense, I'm speaking specifically as Jesus contrasts light with life and darkness with death. 1 John also tells us that God is life. That in him is the origination of life itself. That life apart from God is impossible. And so he is the origin. He is the beginning of life. Now, as we look at Genesis, we see that God claims that he began creation and through a six-day period of time, uh, architect and created all things. And then on the seventh day, he rested. I personally believe that's when he uh, invented Lou Malnati's pizza. That's where my theological dissertation will be upon. But that being said, God claims that he created all things. And today, our world tells us that a bang happened or some kind of mystery event happened that began a chain reaction that through an evolutionary process brought about life to the manner in which we have it today. And initially, it sounds convincing until you look at the evidence. As you begin to work through the scientific data, as you begin to look at the inconsistencies in the fossil record, the simple understanding of DNA in and of itself shows that there has to be a creator or designer 
behind such an integral part such as DNA within us, let alone the coding that is within our DNA is not something that could happen by random chance or an evolutionary process. That's why many microbiologists today are struggling because they have been uh, forced almost into a position to uh, continue to prop- uh, propagate you know, evolution. And they're saying, no, there's no possible way. Look at the cell. Darwin originally thought it was some simple little uh, organism. And now we find out how complex it actually is through the telescopes in which we have. I'm sorry, the microscopes in which we have. Now, God is saying that he is the originator of light, he is the originator of love, and that he is the originator of light or life. However, though, when we begin to look at the nature of God, we find that our finite minds cannot understand an infinite God. And therefore, the mystery is revealed to us in these little God is statements. These are, these are attributes, and I use that word very uh, loosely because it's more than that. It's the actual nature of God himself. Love, light, lo- uh, life. But also faithfulness, righteousness, holiness are all combined uh, attributes of God's personal nature that in each and every decision he makes, each and every action he takes, all of those are taken into consideration as he moves on our behalf. So understanding love must first and foremost begin with understanding God. Now through the Roman and before that the Greek world, there were many treaties, uh, treatises uh, written concerning love itself. Individuals trying to deal formally through written works and systematically developing the subject of love, trying to find its origination apart from God. Some even go as far as to say that in our uh, line of exploration and discovery, we find that there is no physical reason for love that we must then uh, uh, attribute it to one of the gods in whom we worship. And this is in the Roman and the Greek culture. And these, of course, uh, worshipped pagan gods at that society. But when it came to the exploration of the origination of love, they were dumbfounded and they came to the place where they said it is impossible for love to have originated amongst the creation itself. A.W. Tozer said it this way, Understanding that God is love is trying to comprehend that which is incomprehensible. I cannot explain it to you any better than I already have. But I know this, that every action that God has taken from the beginning of creation to his return is motivated out of the love in which he has for us. And we can understand through those interactions, the love that he has for us. It is this love that is then demonstrated in verse 9. For, of course, John has now stated that God is love, the originator of love. 
And in verse 9, he goes on to state the, ma- the, the manner in which God revealed this love to us. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us. What he is saying is that this is the manner in which this attribute of God was demonstrated towards us. This is it. For us to know that God is love is demonstrated in this act. And notice what he says here. He says this, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is it. This is how we know that God loves us. God provided for us our greatest need. Today, I think we truly downplay the understanding that man apart from Jesus Christ is separated completely from God by sin. And the gulf that separates the individual from God that we identify as sin is so vast that it is an absolute impossibility for man to do anything to reach God in his own endeavors or to cross that gulf that has been separated by sin within us and that we, because of that position, that separation from God, are now experiencing death due to the reality of sin. People die because of sin. We want to attribute a physical illness, old age, an accident to their death. But the reason that death is rampant within our world today is because of the sin that was committed in the garden by Adam and Eve themselves. And from the fall of Adam and Eve, which we here believe are two original people, we believe that sin, therefore, was brought into this world through their disobedience, and every person that was born after them was born into sin, separated from God, absolutely incapable of doing anything to restore that relationship with God and to find life once again. And through all the religious attempts, and what I mean by that is all the attempts that man has made over the years, over the centuries, over the decades, over the millennium, to try to reach God once again have all failed miserably because it's an impossibility. And therefore, what we could not do from our end, it became a necessity that only God could do it from His side. And this is where his love moved him to send his only begotten son across that gulf into our world. God himself stepped out of heaven and he became the substitutionary death for you and I. The death that we have occurred and accrued due to our sin, Christ now has experienced. And as a result, if we would believe by faith in him, the sacrifice in which he made, and of course the resurrection that validated the sacrifice in which he made, we then can have eternal life through him. It was an impossibility. And what moved God to do that was love. He loved us 
and did not want us and did not desire to see us die. That's why God says, I desire all people to come to repentance. I desire all men to be saved. And so God, instead of waiting or hoping that we in some way could reach him, knowing that that was an absolute impossibility and that we were in a desperate situation, God says, you're never going to reach me, but I can reach you. And he sent his son. And John says that's the biggest, biggest, biggest manifestation of God's love to us. Of course, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a giving love. It's a love that was then demonstrated through the life of Jesus Christ while he walked on this earth. As he separated and began to show the world that there was a love greater than the love of Eros, which is the exotic sexual type of love that was rampant in the society at that time. That there was a love greater than phileo, which is the friendship. It's a reciprocal type of love. I love you because you love me and we're all one big happy family. Then there was a love called storge in the Greek community, which they then uh, assigned to something that, they, uh, was, that was inanimate. I love my house. I love this. I love that. And Jesus said, no, I agape you. And the manner in which I agaped you is the manner in which you should agape one another. Love one another that all the world may know that you are of me. And it means to lay down one's life for another. And when I say that, I'm not speaking specifically of simply dying. I'm, simpl- I'm talking about something that's even more difficult. Well, what's more difficult than dying on one's behalf? Dying to self on one's behalf is more difficult. And that's where the difficulty becomes, where we put others before ourselves. And I want to let all of you know, I often fail at this greatly, as much as I desire not to. I'm a work in progress just like the rest of you, and that's where the grace of God comes in. But Jesus said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you in this incomprehensible manner. I want you to make it comprehensible to the people who see you. As one wrote, he said, what God love is means that love is one of the essential attributes and that all love comes from God and he does nothing except in love. God is the source of all love, but God's nature is not limited to love, for there is no limit to God's nature. Now, when we see God's love through the Word, we often have to get past the, the presupposition of the distorted understanding that love plays within our world today. We have to understand that the love that God has for us that we are now to show others is so vastly superior to the love that the world has for one another. He's, another one wrote, God is love means that love is such an integral part of God's being that it never is or can be absent from Him. It's impossible. And I like what this individual his name was Dodd. He wrote, 
Love so conceived is not to be understood as one of God's many activities, but rather all of his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is an expression of his love towards us. And you and I have, been, have experienced this love because we've experienced the rebirth and new life that Jesus Christ has given us through his death and resurrection on the cross. Oftentimes, though, and as we go throughout life, we find ourselves faced with circumstances that would challenge our understanding of God's love. If we peer into the suffering of the world around us, Satan wants to often state and remind us, oh, does God really love you? Look at the suffering all around you. Now, what he is not telling you is that he is the source of the suffering around us. And he has been dealt with once and for all on the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's about time that we as Christians begin to live within the new life that God has given us and quit entertaining the old. And I pray that that would happen within our, within our church. I gave Satan 16 years of my life. I'm not giving him one day more. God pierced the darkness by sending his only begotten son who's experienced all of the same suffering that we experience, that he may know what we go through as individuals who follow him and love him. And he warded it all. He carried that burden all the way to the cross in perfect perfection that he may be the substitutory atonement for all of us who are apart from God, who place their faith and trust in him for their salvation. But when we are confronted with these things, as I stated before, there are times that we must remember that God is a father to us. He sits not in a position of our buddy, our friend, uh, the, the good angel on one side, the bad angel on the other. God is our heavenly father and we are his kids. And he has blessed us with every blessing that is in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. And we say, thank you, Lord, for all of those blessings. And when we experience those blessings and we experience his goodness and his mercy and his provision and all the things that he has promised to us, it's easy to say, oh, God, thank you. I I know you love me and I love you and so forth. But in the role of a parent... The writer of Hebrews tells us that God chastens those in whom he loves because he loves you to to, uh, leave you the way he found you. He loves you too much and he wants to better you. And often we'll find ourselves in trials and tribulations and in positions that we don't fully understand where nothing seems to be going our way. And yet God is saying, I'm working all things together for good to those who love me are called according to his purpose. Now, why does he say it to those who love him? Because we love him because he first loved us. That's the only way we can extend that love to him. And so God is a God of love. 
He is more than just a loving or lovable God. He is love in and of itself. But he's vastly more than that. For love in and of himself isn't of necessarily God. It's that God is love and he has showed us this love through his son, Jesus Christ. But it must begin here. We can contrast the Christian community and the world. We can, we can contrast uh, us with other Christians. But let us be frankly honest. What this is meant to confront is us before God. And if we say that we're going to be a loving church, then we need to love one another. Extending mercy, extending grace, extending forgiveness. It's often difficult. It is hard. It is, uh, it's uh, selfless in nature. It's, you know, it goes against everything that is natural to us that when we want to get angry and we want to retaliate and when we want to get even, that's what the world would have us to do. And again, please, I'm not speaking here to you. I'm not speaking down to you. Well, I am, but that's just, uh, just part of the logistics. I'm saying this for myself too. No one has been more greatly challenged by what we've been looking at than me, myself, and I. Many times I've had to just close the books. I've had to close the computer. I've had to close the Bible and just say, Lord, forgive me. I can't teach on this because I don't believe that I manifest it perfectly all the time. And he says, well, where sin is, you know, grace abounds even more. And so as I have committed to ask the Lord to help me love as he loves, may I ask you, to also seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, help me to love others as you have loved me. That's where it will begin. For God is love. And everything that he has ever said and done has been extended through that love. And I hope that as you read through the word of God for yourself, you will discover that for yourself. Because when you do, you're not going to want to put the book down you're going to want to go another chapter. But we cannot become the people that God wants us to become if we are not spending time with him each and every day.